founders. Welcome back to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we obsess over the convergence of human potential and business results. Today, our hosts, Drew McClure and Jordan Mitchell, have another insightful conversation for you. So let's jump right in. Okay, founders, welcome back to the podcast. Today, we are joined by Chris Sands, founder and CEO of Sands Investment Group a real estate company able to provide clients with a level of service unprecedented in the industry. Sands Investment Group is one of the fastest growing and most successful net net lease companies in the country with advisors that are among the most distinguished and sought after in the industry. Born and raised in Los Gatos, California, Chris began his career in real estate in 2004 at Marcus and Millichap, where he was named Rookie of the Year. During his tenure at the company, he was promoted to Senior Vice President of Investments before leaving in 2009. Since forming his company, Chris has participated in the disposal of over 1,400 properties with a value in excess of $4 billion. As a graduate of UCLA and former professional tennis player, Chris applies the same drive and determination that enabled him to compete at the highest levels of his sport to building his business and leading a world-class real estate investment company. Chris Sands, welcome to the podcast, my friend. Thanks, Drew. Thanks for having me. Super yes, excited sir. to be here. Ah, glad you're here, my man. Well, let's kick it off how we always do. I want to know what were the series of events that led you to do what you're doing today? It's a great question to kick off. Well, uh, I'm one of six kids, and uh, being in the middle of the lineup, there's a 20-year gap between my oldest brother and my youngest brother. Wow. I've got twin sisters in the interim in there as well, and another brother above me. Um, and you know, it's interesting growing up in that dynamic. My, my dad was a dentist. My mom was a, a baby maker, as we say, and she's, a, <laughs> they're both living saints. They're amazing human beings. And my, definitely my models and mentors. Uh, I think those were the early stages of sort of forming what I see, uh, ingredients that happen at an early age for entrepreneurs where, you know, you have to kind of separate yourself from the pack. Mm. Uh, we had a big Italian Catholic Irish family. And so, you know, we got well fed, but there was always a little competitiveness for that last chocolate chip cookie. And so I think some of the uh, inner workings of the desire to step up and do something different or kind of differentiate yourself was always where were, those seeds were being planted at an early age. Yeah. Uh, and then as we evolved, I you know, very athletic family I started playing tennis, started playing soccer, baseball, loved all sports. And tennis just kind of gravitated towards my success and um, early on kind of worked my way up the, the food chain and was ranked in the country, number six in the country or eight in the country, I think it was in uh, wow. and unders. And it was on this great trajectory to kind of go and I wrote in my journal when I was six years old that uh, I wanted to be a professional tennis player. So after some ups and downs and some you know bumps and bruises, I ended up going to UCLA um, and played on the team there was the captain of the tennis team and through again, sort of a divine intervention moment. I had a past family friend can take me under his wing and help me to raise some capital, which was my first sort of foray into syndication and other people's money and this concept of sort of leveraging somebody else's resources and mm. get back something in order to go do something that you feel that you're being called to do. And so uh, we raised a little bit of money and I traveled to Barcelona, all over Europe, played professional tennis. It was an amazing experience. Got a chance to play Pete Sampras and uh, beat him in a set, although it was at his own house. It wasn't in a professional tournament, but it was Holy crap. Yeah, which was a lot of fun. And uh, he trounced me the very next day. So I can't really tell. I shouldn't have told the whole rest of the story, but it was fun. (laughs) 
Um, but then, you know, I think what kind of led me to where we are today was I love that competitive spirit of athletics. I love that concept of tennis and I think entrepreneurs can relate to this. Uh, and, and even if you haven't played sports, but there's a lot of you, in tennis. I, and I say this to our advisors is that you can lose a lot of points, but still win the match. Mm. And I do believe that's an important lesson to think about in life is that, you know, there's your losses or your, or your small failures can compound and lead to greater successes. Uh, but I think one of the great mistakes most people make is the fear of the, that first step or that leap, or I don't want to fail. And so, um, I, as you mentioned in my bio in 2004, through teaching some tennis lessons on the side to some of the people that raised money, they helped me to get out on the tour, which was my give back to them. Uh, you know, kind of again, divine intervention. It seemed like all arrows were pointing towards getting into commercial real estate. Uh, one thing I will share with you that I think is important as a message to kind of give to that generation that's getting out of college that wants to go do something and make an impact, but doesn't know what to do that 25, 28 year old window, where it's a little awkward too, is that mm-hmm. hard party. I think that younger people's lives is, um, you know, what I, I, I just sort of just came to me through some prayer and meditation was, you know, create a legend of the things that are most important to you in terms of the characteristics of your career, your vocation, not just like, what do I want to do? Or, um, you know, well, I, what's the highest paying opportunity at Bay? Yeah. So one of the things that, um, again, sort of organically came was like, all right, I knew that I wanted to be in an, in an industry where I could be around other people and I can grow relationships because I love people. I knew I wanted to be in an industry where the sky was the limit on what I can make in terms of I work my tail off. I didn't have to work up some corporate ladder or get my MBA or some type of extra degrees to go evolve in my craft and get to that next pay salary or pay grade. Uh, the third one is whatever I did, I want to be learning a skill set to be able to build passive income because I think mm. passive income is a great stepping stone to kind of that financial independence or freedom feeling that we all sort of talk about or people strive for. Uh, ironically, I said I never wanted to have to wear a suit. I did for 15 years, but I'm no longer wearing a suit. Which is- <laughs> Uh, and last but not least, I want to do something that was making a difference in people's lives or that it gave me the resources to make a difference in people's lives. So I took that legend, those five things, and I started doing a bunch of different sort of internships. I was very fortunate to do it through these tennis lessons of affluent people that I was teaching. And so I met with a CMO of a big company. I met with uh, you know the CEO of life insurance, stock brokerage. I looked into tech. I looked into a whole bunch of different industries and real estate really fit the mold of that five key things that I was looking for in terms of my development. And so I embarked on that endeavor and you told the story well. Uh, and that was kind of the kickoff of like getting going. I think the real moment that sort of turned from the, you know, being in business at a bigger firm to the true entrepreneurial spirit launching into what we've got. 2008, as we all know, was in the October of 2008 was when Lehman Brothers filed and really the world started to shift into the recession that we went into. Uh, we were blowing and going. Market was great up to that point. Liz and I, my wife, thought we were like, you know, walking on water. She was working at Yahoo. I was crushing it in real estate. We found mm. out, got pregnant with our first child about a year after uh, being married. And we've been together for 20 years, just for what it's worth. We've, and it's been an awesome journey to be with her. And so early in that 20 years, we were. And uh, sure enough, the market tur- turns. And it was a brutal one year. Uh, my assistant made more money than I did that year. Liz got let go from Yahoo. I went from doing, you know, 
the volume of a couple hundred million dollars a year in sales done to like literally almost nothing. And, wow. and we went from very, very positive to a very negative position. And candidly, Drew, we were upside down financially. And uh, I'll button this first part up so we can talk about a lot more exciting things. But I remember on one night, we were sitting in our house, this little rental home that we were paying way too much for in Santa Monica, California. And my wife said, uh, you need to go get a job. And I said, well, I'm working 80 hours a week and I've been doing this for seven years and been making well into the mid to high six figures. I don't understand what you mean. And she said, you need to go get a job. And I said, listen, if I stay the course and we can dig ourselves out, we will be in a way better position in the near future than if I go pull the ripcord now, Yeah, I take the certainty road. And that fork is this decision-making point for us right now. We got to lean in. And so at that night I was going to bed and I was saying a prayer and I just thought in my heart, honesty and brokerage, honesty and brokerage. It seems like there's a real disconnect between honesty, integrity, and values and the perception of what people see in the brokerage community. So the next day I went online and I Googled honest broker. And I thought to myself, what if I wrote like a little, like, you know, at the time they were called blogs. They still are, I know, but everyone does like <laughs> and stuff. And so that I, I Googled it and nothing came up under any search engine under and anything for any URL for any advisory role. And I thought, man, what if we figured out a way to build a company that the culture was based on this concept of honesty, integrity, values, win-win or no deal, teamwork, collaboration, information sharing. It's about serving others first and then seeking to be served next. It's about this mindset that the more you give, the more opportunity you have to potentially get. And this concept of Ubuntu, which we talk about in our company, which is an African tribal phrase that means the better that you are, the better that I am, the better that we are. And this wow. whole mindset that alone you can go fast, but together we can go far. Far, yeah. And so that was really kind of this since the impetus. And again, I take no credit for it. It was all the good Lord kind of guiding this month, this this little idea, this seed that planted. And through again, these divine intervention moments of people coming into our life, that's really what kicked off in the most probably the worst real estate market being almost six figures in the red financially that SIG or SANS investment group was, was uh, our, that was our inception. And uh, I look back now almost 11 years later with, you know, a hundred people in the company, six offices, uh, I'm being recognized who we are in the industry. Humbly. I say that's one of the most amazing things to kind of look back at. I just sort of, I, I cry a little bit. I chuckle a little bit and I'm so excited about what the future looks like with all that being said. Man, I've got so many notes here of things I want to touch on. You can't drop that many bombs all in one, one rant. <laughs> I, had you, I had to give you some good directions to go. So I, I saw oh. the beginning was a little more long-winded. I'll be more succinct as we. No, can. no, please be long-winded. That's awesome. You know, wait, I want to go back to something you said earlier, which I think is fantastic advice um, on creating your legend. I haven't heard it said that way, uh, but in my in my first book, I talked about this as well that when it comes to life and decisions, we kind of have to go old school, like sailors who are navigating by the stars, right. right? Like we all want to navigate by GPS. We want to figure out the exact path and the exact destination, but it's like life won't give us that. It won't like, uh, you know, unveil its mystery like that. Instead, you can find these fixed points that you can navigate your life by, you know, that give you a direction, and that direction has a lot of lateral, kind of a lot of lateral ability. You know, it could look like this, it could look like this, but, and that's what, in, in my mind, 
those fixed points create kind of like a constellation that you can see every time you look up, whether it's your values, your purpose, your mission, the things that you feel like won't change. Right. And every time you look up, you just keep going North like those sailors, right? Like that's the direction. As long as it's going that way, I could take that internship. I could try my hand in that industry. But if I go away from that, something to me dies, something feels, you know, even like a, a misalignment. Does that make sense? You're right. Yeah, exactly. Man, that's so cool. Yeah. Um, yeah so that's true though. What you're saying though, is keep core, you got to stay true to your core values, right? Exactly. And you know what those are. And so I've, I, I, you know, growing up in that family, Italian Catholic and, you know, Irish Catholic, I would go to, I started going to mass when I was 20 years old every day. It just became somewhere I loved it. It filled me up. And so I go to morning mass. I still, this day I go, I take my kids to school, but I go, you know, my wife and I flip flop a little, but I still go four or five times a week. And, you know, having that anchor allows me to know that when I'm in business or I'm in a conversation with a client or with our, with our teammates, our family that, you know, there's this ability to come from this place of the core values. Right. And so that's I right. that's, knowing that I wasn't in congruence with the prior firm that I was at, that's where I was like, I like what I do, but I know that there's a way to do it where I could feel proud of the Jersey that I put on every day or and create an environment where people could be proud of that rather than feeling like sometimes, and this is okay. Like sometimes we have to step through moments or into different areas that it tests your values, but that's where you grow stronger, right? Yeah. Where you actually meld into yeah. who you are and become even more devout in those values of what you're going to follow. But I would tell people today, as we pass this message out, Drew is like, you know, get, get true to who you are mm. before you embark on what you want to be, because that'll be the driving force in who you become as you become more successful. Yeah. So if you're talking to someone, let's say they are in that 25 to 28 and they're like, I'm not really sure who I am. I don't, I don't really know off the top of my head what my core values are or what some of those things in my legend would be. What advice would you give them in exploring that? Yeah, so a couple, couple of quick ideas or strategies or maybe a fun exercise or interesting exercise is a better way to frame it. Um, I had advice to me from, an, from a, a leader, a mentor who ran a big real estate firm to write your obituary. Mm. And, uh, you know, we, some of us may, may not know or remember or have read Stephen Covey's seven habits of highly effective people, but, you know, Covey is a big advocate of start with the end in mind. Mm -hmm. And, and I, and I believe that it's okay to, you need to live in the moment and you got to stay present to the moment because that's the greatest gift that we've been given. It's also, and it is exciting to be introspective and looking ahead and saying, what are you calling me to do? And what do I want to look back on in my life and be remembered for? I'm uh, being a father of three kids, two boys and a little girl, um, 12, nine and uh, almost five uh, in the lineup. It's fun because one of the things that I really work on I, and being a fun and cool and try to be cool, I'm not, but um, <laughs> bad, uh, is really this sort of this concept of, of establishing values in them early on. And one of the things I say to my kids and they walked in the door today, I can tell you this, uh, but I say you can either be an example or you could be a warning in life mm. and strive to be that example, strive to be a leader. And so even today I drop my kids off and I say, they, they say it back to me now that I say it. And I say to them, they, they, they give me a kiss and they get out of the car and they say, shine your light bright, make a difference today and be an example. That's what they say. So, wow. so cool. and those are the three things I've really worked on with them 
that when they do things that are defining moments, when they have they have a moment where they maybe they are dishonest about something or they treat another kid the wrong way or they do something they know they should have done. I said, is that an example or is that is that is that a warning? And they're like, it's a warning. And I go, yeah. And I go, who do you want to be remembered by? And so that's kind of a thing that that that, that exercise in the obituary and that mindset of looking at being an example to others when you finish your life where people go, what an amazing human being that was, or wow, look at the impact that that person had versus the alternative, which is, wow, don't want to be like that. That's a good example of what I don't want to be like. That's, yeah, a, that's yeah. really, I think that's a quick and easy, but also introspective exercise that I would encourage people of that any age. I have people that are in their 40s that have never thought about that to people that are 18. Um, so that's one. I'll talk I about that. I'll talk about another one later because I think this is a big part of sort of a life secret that I've learned that it's not a secret, but it's really powerful game changer. But I'll save that because I'm sure some of the questions you're going to ask going to lead to me being able to talk a little bit more about that. Okay. Well, I'm going to make a note of it just in case we don't naturally stumble across okay. it. We'll I, get there. I will, I'll make sure we get there. I got to make sure we get this life secret. Um, I'm curious. I love, by the way, that exercise and that example with your kids, that's inspiring for me as, as my kids are a few years behind yours. And we've been having similar conversations, like how do we ingrain certain things in them? Um, how have you gone about doing that with this company? You mentioned it a little bit in your initial impetus for starting it with integrity and honesty and, you know, you win, we win, we all win. Uh, but what did that look like to actually build a company and instill core values that, that people know, live by, embody versus you already living by and embodying. How, how did you go about building a company around that? Yeah, it's, you know, as you scale and you grow, it becomes more challenging, right? It's getting, it, it's always getting tested. Um, I will say that one lesson that we learned early on, Liz and I did in doing some business coaching and development was that everything that happens in a company or in an organization is a direct reflection of the leader. Mm. So when you look at companies from that lens and just think about that for a second, take a look at a few companies out there and then think about what we know about those companies. And again, it's hard to know what that leader is really like if you're not involved on a day-to-day -day basis, but there is truly a reflection of what's happening there. And so the, the good news in that is that, um, you live who you you live by who you are in those values, and that directly reflects and permeates throughout the entire organization. Yeah, that happens organically. The challenge in that, you don't have a lot of leeway to screw up. <laughs> <laughs> so you're always on you're always always on display in terms of did they do that or did they do this? Why did they do this and why didn't they do that? Why did they make an exception here and how come they allowed that to have happen here? And so you have to be extremely disciplined in the values that you want to permeate and create and that culture you want to embody in your company as it scales because you have your next in command of your leadership team. So we have five offices, five managing directors. They manage and oversee 15 to 20 people in their respective offices. They have to be ambassadors of that culture, that value as well. And if they don't or if they aren't in congruence with that, it's the immediate first stem of like yeah. that can create within an organization. So Example being four years into the business, we started to expand and we thought, let's go into other markets and we started to grow and we moved from Santa Monica, California, which is our headquarters that started to then I went, I, we moved our family to Charleston, South Carolina, where we live now. And then we opened Austin and we're like, this is great. We opened Atlanta and we're like, great, let's keep going. And we had a couple of people come to us that opened Indianapolis 
and um, up in Philadelphia. And I didn't do enough of a background check on the cultural values of the two in Indianapolis and Philadelphia. The others were all sort of in-house, if you will. Right. I, my core guys moved to Austin that I started the company with. My, my, uh, my brother-in-law ended up launching Atlanta. So there was that real tight-knit value, know these people, this is family. Uh, but when we brought outside in, you have to take that extra level, that extra step of getting to know, understanding and who they are in terms of do their values meet yours. Yeah. And sure enough, man, within one year, I, I call this my MBA. We started those offices, we launched, we started to add people and we shut them down. And it was purely because they were not ambassadors of the culture. So what I would say to you is this, is you got to know exactly what your culture is. You need to make it extremely clear to everybody in the organization that this is part of who we are and we're going to live and die by this. Yeah. It's a little drastic, but you're going to, and so I'll, I'll share briefly what that means. And then what you have to do, Drew, is you have to be willing to make decisions fast when people are outside of that culture. And sometimes it's two key players and it's hard, but it's better to cut cancer out of your arm and save your body than it is to try to maintain it and end up having a, you know, a systemic problem through your entire organization, right? Absolutely. So I think the thing that we talk about, and I'll share this now because this is kind of a good core thing, is we say there's four reasons why people join SIG or SANS Investment Group. I'm just going to call it SIG for moving forward because that's who we really go by. And yeah. there's four reasons why you are no longer a part of the family. And it's clear as day for everybody in the organization, whether you're one day in or whether you're 12 or 11 and a half years in with us, 11 years in with us. And it's the four C's is what I call it. So the first C is culture. You have to live in, you have to embody and practice the culture and be an ambassador of it. And I ask people, what's the culture? And if somebody doesn't know how to repeat back that litany of things, like I talked about, honesty, integrity, values, win-win or no deal. I give them a week and if I ask them again and they don't, literally, I go, sorry, this is part of who we are. And if you don't know that, then there's no way to embody that. Wow. Number two, it's all about coachability, in my opinion. And coachability has two facets to it. The first part of it is desire to learn. A lot of people, Drew, come to people that are more senior, or I'm sure you talk about this in a lot of your, in your book and whatnot. It's about find somebody who's done something successful learn from them, right? A mm -hmm. lot of people say, I want to learn from you. Hey, let me pick your brain. Let me come meet with you. I'd love to get like two minutes with you or 20 minutes just to kind of be a sponge. You know what a lot of people don't do is the second part, which is actually Apply it. implement it, right? Yep. And that to me is the greatest loss of time and also a gift. You've been given that talent. It's like the parable in the Bible where the people go and they get yeah. the five and the two and the one, the three and the one, and they one of them decides to squander it and the other two make more of it, right? And so- yeah. That's the part that I have to work with, right? So it's. I heard somebody recently refer to them as ask assholes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they keep asking, but it's just a hole. You invest in them, and it doesn't it doesn't go anywhere. So it's culture, communication. The third one is consistency. So many people can go for two weeks, right? We've all seen every every year everybody goes and signs up for a membership at a gym, or they decide I'm going to do this like life changing you know, like New Year's resolution. And then the net result of it is after about 40 days, 30 days, 15 days, you name it, that, that habit tapers and they end up kind That's of right. going back into bad habits. And so are uh, those habits. And so my, my, my advocation of people is, look, if you're going to take the coaching, you're going to implement it and the success leaves clues. The thing that I've learned from very successful people is their discipline and being so consistent in the methodology of applying the right principles and actions yeah. And doing it over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And there's a relentless persistence that they do. Now, it doesn't mean they don't make tweaks and corrections, as you alluded to a little bit ago. Yep. 
and along the way. And what gets you here doesn't always get you there, but it's the discipline of the actions that you take with a small tweak to the strategies that leads to that formula of success. And so what I tell people is this is a career. So we're going to set a game plan in motion. This is a 15 year roadmap. This isn't just do this for six months and you'll have success. Yep. And the last part is communication. If you don't communicate how you're feeling along the way, if you're festering a frustration about something, I'm not getting this, or I think I should get this. Or, I see this at another company. Why don't we have this here? And you start griping about that internally, man, we cut that fast. We cut that really fast. And so I think the big thing for us is cut means we address, we attack, we discuss, we communicate. But being good relationship with anybody, whether that's a wife, significant other, child, your parents, sibling, you name it, a friendship, and a relationship in an organization, which we consider everybody family in our company, you have to have communication. And we've had a lot of heart to hearts. We've had a lot of tough conversations. We've had a lot of moments where I've had good people have been with me for a long time that I think we're thinking about possibly at times leaving. And, mm. I, and we could have, we could have, uh, we could have uh, addressed this sooner by virtue of communicating better and never let it escalate to this level of where you were thinking, should I or should I not continue to be here? Mm. So those are our four C's. And when people aren't incongruent with those, it's a pretty easy conversation. So people actually dehire themselves more than they actually refire because we're very clear on what the four core pillars or those four C's are in terms of how we operate and run the company. Man, that I am so impressed by that. So we, my job outside of the podcast is I run a coaching company uh, where we do people development, right? And that's the hardest, what you're doing very naturally, intentionally is sometimes the hardest part to get others to implement and do, which is really having something that you care enough about and believe enough in that you would hire and fire by it and that you would recognize and challenge it in a sense, like uh, if it's not happening, it's like, man, that's where the rubber meets the road is, is if this really is core to who we are, then are we willing to actually like let someone go or have a culture so strong that I loved how you said they deselect themselves. There's been a few, there's been a few companies so far on this podcast that I would say have done that. One is um, a company called Sorenex. I don't know if you've ever heard of them or seen their equipment in, in the gyms, but they dominate um, they dominate the fitness industry right now, especially in like uh, you know NFL locker rooms and local gyms and that kind of stuff. But they're they're just an awesome. Bert Soren and his dad are just legends, and we went and visited them at their factory, actually in South Carolina. Nice. Um, and it was so cool to you could just even talking to the different people on their team, you could see this very common culture. And they said, usually if we ever make a wrong hire, they quit themselves within two months. <laughs> and he's yeah. like, it's just so like this culture is so strong and it's so clear that like, you know, if you're a good fit or not pretty soon. And if you're That's not, right. it's not. And I, I love that. I love that. It's true. We have we have a very high retention rate for the commercial industry. Industry. We have a very low attrition, like turnover in our company. It is interesting, though. As of late, we've grown. Last year, in height of COVID, thank the Lord, we actually doubled our brokerage advisory account, and um, we had more turnover than we've had before. And I look back at the turnover, though, and it was all people that joined us and left us within a matter of literally four to six weeks. That was yep. it. It yep. wasn't. It was nobody that stayed past the 90 day mark for the most part. We had one or two that had life situations that came up or an opportunity that was like in a different field and they fell out of love with it. But one of the things I love in that um, uh, podcast, um, drawing a little blank on the name, but it's called How to Build It, I think. Um, How I Built This? How I Built This, yeah. 
and they interviewed the um, the CEO or the founder of Bonobos. And I apologize for not knowing your name. I should know it or say it. But one of the things he said that was really instrumental uh, that I, sticks with me today was he said the reason why entrepreneurs end up failing is not because they run out of money. It's because they lose the passion for their vision. Mm. And I love that because I think that is so key why people opt out. And I say that to people, look at it. If, if everybody wanted, if commercial real estate was easy and being an advisor was that easy, there would be a line out the door from here to California, Charleston to California, because you make ridiculous, can make ridiculous sums of money and doing something that doesn't require you to go get your law degree, doesn't require you to go through eight years of, you know, uh, <laughs> medical school or sure, uh, sure. whatever. You go out and get your real estate license, you learn a craft, and it's about your verbal skills. And you're sort of, we call it being a ninja black belt with your verbal skills, karate, karate verbal skills. And so I think with that, it's one of those things, though, that people opt out because they like the idea of what it looks like to be successful. They don't necessarily love or fall in love with the passion of the journey of what it takes. And that's mm. a really big thing that I, I want people to hear is that it's not about a destination. When you arrive at a destination of where you think you want to get to, whether that's your first home, whether that's uh, buying your first rental property, whether that's a certain weight you want to hit or a certain level of like, I want to bench press this, or maybe it's something that only, I will tell you that for the most part, that destination is completely, or it's incredibly anticlimactic. Yeah, it's a letdown in some ways. Because as nature, as ambitious as most people are, and even in some degree, even if it's not like on a scale of 10 to 10, even if you're a two, when you hit that benchmark, there's the, okay, well, now what, right? I want to go to that next yeah. I will say that I'm going to carve out two exceptions of that. And, I, and this is a really cool thing that I've learned. Uh, and I do, I give a shout out to Tony Robbins and Oprah Winfrey on these two. Let's go. <laughs> Because they're a beast in the world of giving back and making a difference in yeah. like your personal development. But both of those have, have a shared thought and a sentiment that the two emotional needs that fill us the most are contribution and growth. Yep. And so I will say that if you set a ball in motion for contribution, ironically, though, you still want to give more, right? But that's one of the cool things is so making donation, giving more charitably, being just more philanthropic, that is one that fills you up. And it that that part of it is extremely exciting when you hit that. But yeah. again, you do want to keep doing more. So it's not like it, there's no, there's a ceiling to any of those. Growth is the same thing. What I inspire people to think about though is if you have the sort of six emotional needs, right? You have certainty, you have uncertainty or variety you have love and you've got significance and those are your core four. And then you've got this growth and you've got contribution. The more you live in growth and contribution and love, in my opinion, as the core three, the more, the higher the level of happiness and the happiness quotient you'll have in your life. That's right. right? Yep. When a lot of people get stuck as they want to live in certainty, man, I want to control my environment. I don't want to take these risks. What if I don't do that? Oh my gosh, what's going to happen? And there is a direct reflection. Tony Robbins says this great. He says there is a direct reflection of people and the level of success they have correlated to the level of variety and uncertainty that they're willing to take in their lives. That's right. Right. And so yep. I think a really inspiring thing as entrepreneurs on this podcast to hear is that you have to be willing to step into that unknown, that uncertainty, come from a place of love being your core contribution and growth. And when you have those core three and then that fourth one added, 
significance is one of the most selfish, self-centered. And to me, I tell my kids all the time, that's how you become a warning rather than an example. Mm, man, that there's so much to touch on there. Yes. I've, I've come around to really appreciate Tony Robbins just from where I came from. <laughs> at first he was this dude out there that I thought, you know, I come from a faith background. I was a pastor for a while. It's like, who is this? <laughs> Heeding out there, you know, yeah, whatever. Your destiny. I'm like, no, God's our destiny. Like, yeah, that's right. That's right. But man, he really is, from what I can tell, you never know somebody completely, but like the more I listen to him, the more I'm very, very impressed. And I talked about this on one of the other podcasts when he I heard him talking about success not equaling fulfillment. And he loves success, but he's like, it doesn't, I just need you to know it doesn't lead to fulfillment. And he said it's it's giving back. It's yeah. it's making a, an impact that's beyond your own gain yep. that is leading to fulfillment. And that was huge for me. Um, I also say you mentioned something that I, I, a few things that I found really intriguing. Uh, one is called the if then fallacy. Have you ever heard of that? Yeah. Go say it though. Tell the crew. I guess it's a good one to repeat. Yeah. And so it's this kind of, uh, psychology phrase and term that, that talks about a trap or a fallacy that we fall into a lot, which is we say, if I have this, or if I achieve this, then I will be blank. Right. So if I get this house, then I'll be happy. If I get this raise, I'll finally be satisfied. And what they realize is nine times out of 10, it's a fallacy that you get there and you experience this, um, this short burst of aha, and then a letdown of why am I still hungry? Why am I still not satisfied? Right. And so they start talking about having to find the things even starting right now that actually would lead to those things you're searching for. Right. And one of the other phrases that comes into play is what they call hedonistic adaptation, which is our ability to move the bar that like whatever we'd find pleasurable or enjoyable, once we get it, we pretty quickly adapt to it and it becomes now the normal. And so now that it's the normal, it's not novel. We don't enjoy it as much anymore. And so now we want more or different or new and you just have to see it. It's not a bad thing or it's like, it's just kind of almost neutral. Like as long as you know, that's at play, you can then make better decisions on like, oh, am I falling into that if then fallacy or have I gotten, you know, one of my favorite books, I have a friend who's a hard charger like you and is always conquering stuff. And he, he called me, it was like a year ago. And he said, man, I've read a book that's changed my life. I was like, what is it? He said, it's, it's called how to want what you have. <laughs> And I was like, whoa, okay, tell me about that. And he, he, he just started, he's like, man, I'm realizing, you know, as soon as I get what I want, I don't want it anymore. I want right. something new because now it's something I have. It's not something I'm pursuing, right? right. And, uh, you know, his family was suffering a little bit from it. His friendships were suffering from it. And uh, I, was, I was like, man, what a brilliant title, how to want what you have, right? And in yeah. that book, they said, uh, we've been taught the skills how to get what you want, but no one has taught us the skills how to want what you have. That's it. Oh man, I thought that was so cool. So you brought up several of those things. I'm like, man, this is, these are life-changing ideas. Yep. It really is. And I mean, we can go, we can talk for probably five hours. It sounds like on this stuff. When, what's kind of cool though, you would, that, that you did say there is that, um, that adaptation that happens. Um, it's amazing. It's amazing. I'll, I'll give a quick example. Yeah, please. But, you know, we have been, I grew up, like I told you, in a, you know, very modest family. And then my wife, uh, we went on our first vacation, Liz and I went with her family. And when I grew up, like we would go to skiing in Lake Shasta 
in Northern California near Redding. And we would stay at this nasty little lodge and, you know, we're all bunked into a two bedroom cabin. And that was what I thought was vacation. It was awesome yeah. over there. And it's, you know, we were just tight knit family. It was fun. And my wife, you know, would go to Aspen, Colorado and she rented, they had a, a condo at the Ritz Carlton. at the bottom. <laughs> I'm like, this is amazing. Right. And so you taste that. And now all of a sudden you're like, this is what a vacation could be like. Right. And so yep. then you start to elevate your game. And, you know, we talk about this now is like, we've been blessed to be able to buy a house in Charleston. We've been blessed to be able to travel places. And when you do a VRBO and you go to another house, that's lesser than the home you're staying in on your day to day, you're kind of like, why am I paying for this? Right. Right. Like, right. right? <laughs> and so that we're, I'm a, I mean, we are a small sample set of what you see as people get to the wealthy and the uber wealthy. And I think that's why wealthy people at times can feel so empty and so lost is because when you start to put your treasure and your hope and your feeling of like I've made it or a feeling of like your um, self-worth and just overall yeah. happiness quotient is based on external material things. They're insatiable. Yep. They're insatiable. Yep. And unfortunately what happens is once you move up that rung of the ladder of adaptation, it's very difficult to go back. Yeah. I'm somebody that stayed at, you know, a four or five star hotel that wants to go stay at the best Western then the next go around and they think it's disgusting and they're like, I can't even go sleep there. And so I think you have to be really careful in life. And this is one of my favorite quotes in the Bible is just talking about place your, if you place your treasures on this earth, then moss will eat it and it'll dissipate and die because we all, at the end of our lives, no matter how wealthy we've become and no matter how many years this world's been alive or around, we've never figured out the way to circumvent death, right? That is yeah, an inevitable yeah. outcome. And so when you think about it, you get to the end of your life and you can't take it with you, then it's where did you put your treasures? Where did you lie your heart and where you thought it was most important? And that's what we're really talking about today is making a difference in people's lives and giving back. And when you can leave that footprint, then it's legacy. Then it's like literally making a change that whether it was one person or millions of people, you make an impact that has a ripple effect that I think is profound. And so my hope today is that we can inspire, inspire Drew, just this concept of this contribution mindset rather than this yeah. mindset of like self. You How know, do I get, get, exactly. get right. And I think when you do that and you live in that space, it actually can transform, you know, people go, yeah, but I, you know, it's not like we're curing cancer and selling commercial real estate. And I go, actually, you know what, because of the, the means that we've been able to develop and the resources we've been able to have, we have SIG gives, which is our charitable arm that we've been committed to. And we're, our goal is to donate a million dollars in a year. Since our inception, we're close to 2 million. We just hit the $2 million mark. And it's like, to me, that's my passion. It's about two things. It's about giving back the gifts we've been blessed with from the success of the company and making yeah. an impact in global and organizations, the height of COVID being able to give to small businesses that are in need. And then the other part of it is the people within. And it's a mission and it's a passion. It is a commitment. To helping people to become the best versions of themselves. Yeah. I say to people every day is wake up every day and let's put together the game plan that give yourself the win of being the best version of who you can be today. And it might not yeah. be great. It might be a two on a 10 or a three on a 10, but be the best three you can be for this day. And then keep getting up and going after being the best version of yourself. And as long as you don't give up on that and your life, and you choose to kind of look at all the stuff you don't have and what you wish you had, rather than what I can become and what I'm going to continue to do. That to me is what's the inspiration of, make, of helping build an organization where people then are striving to be the best version of themselves. And it's a direct correlation then to us being the best organization that we can be. God, it's so good. I love the first thing you said, because that was brought up by a previous guest. We interviewed this 
the founder of Pop Sockets. Do you know Pop Sockets? No, the thing that's on the back of your phone. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. So we were interviewing him, and it was so fa- fascinating. So many of these founders have unique backgrounds, like your tennis background and things you wouldn't expect. And he was a philosophy professor in Boulder, Colorado, for <laughs> most of his career. And so I was like, how in the world do you go from being a philosophy professor to running this giant company? Um, and he didn't know at first, which was fun for him to start to make the connections as we were talking. And he said, you know, I started to realize I, I could make a bigger difference in the world if I wasn't in a classroom talking about things, but I was out there doing something. Right. And he said, and I realized pop sockets wasn't going to change the world, but the money that was coming in from it could yeah. help me what he called create a, a perpetual positivity machine. Ooh, I love that. He's like, I'm game planning right now on how this company and its revenue is going to create a perpetual positivity machine that this is this revenue is going to fuel, right? Yep. And I was like, well, that's a great way to think about it. Like I could be talking about it or I could be out there creating impact, but also creating the revenue to do impact, right? One of my favorite authors is a guy named Bob Goff. Uh, he wrote a book called Love Does that has been amazing. And uh, he travels the world, you know, helping people, speaking at conferences, doing all sorts of stuff. He's an amazing dude, but by day trade, He's a corporate attorney, <laughs> right? And he said every morning when he goes to work, his wife says, um, uh, good luck fundraising for us today. <laughs> and he said, I don't have any particular passion around being a corporate attorney. I do it well. I do it with integrity. I do all that kind of stuff. But he said, I saw that as my way to fundraise my passion. Yeah. This allows me to travel the world. It allows me to be like he went and literally was a, an attorney in Africa for this village that he stumbled across and was helping like defend people and and do all this kind of stuff. Right. And I'm like, man, that is so beautiful. Right. So you have that going on that I love. You have that helping your people understand, Hey, there is joy in progress, not just destination. Right. Like in me being somebody I respect and seeing myself grow and unfold. Uh, The third thing that I think is interesting to think about as well is how do we transform or that we have the, we have the opportunity to transform the mundane into something meaningful. Mm. And there's so many people that's, that's like, all we look for are the obvious impacts. And if we're not doing that, then we're like, well, I'm just doing real estate. Like, like, why are you hyping this up? It's like, well, hold on. No, I believe the opportunity of heaven and hell. Everyone's like, where's heaven? Where's hell? It exists between me and you every day. Depending on our interaction, I can create my own hell or I can create my own piece of heaven right here, right? Yeah. So you look at something like Chick-fil-A and it's like, dude, is that changing the world? The fact that they're making chicken? No, but as a father whose wife was going through real estate school at night and taking my three kids into Chick-fil-A by myself just to try to get by, them noticing me saying, hey, skip the line, go sit down. I'll bring your food to you. Can I help you? These small interactions of someone being kind to you, someone noticing you created a little bit of heaven for me. Right. And so in whatever field you're in, you have, I mean, I remember Oprah talking about that too. She talked about, I think it was her hairdresser or somebody that changed her life because he was so passionate. He said, I get to help make just a hairdresser, right? I get to help people feel beautiful. And then she had somebody else that like was like a house cleaner. And that person was like, I get to go into someone's home. And I get to help them when they come home feel like their life is a little more in order and breathe a sigh of relief. Yep. And I'm like, that's it. Like, how do we transform the, what we feel like is mundane into something meaningful yep. instead of just saying, well, this is mundane. Let's go find a mountaintop or something that's obviously exciting and meaningful. Does that make sense? 
Well, I think I might be killing, and I'm sorry to this, this saint, but I think it's St. Catherine of Siena. They said, how do you make it to heaven? And she said, all you have to do is live every day and just do what you do with joy. Yes. And that. That, was and that was it. And just, that's all it is. And so think about that as beautiful because we wake up with this huge agenda or this aspiration, what I have to accomplish today. And it's, man, it's like, if you just walk down the street and look at somebody and they walk by and you go, Hey, how you doing? And you put a big smile on your face or you're walking up and the door's opening and you decide I'm going to open the door for this person and others. You're sitting in line to go get pickup for food or takeout or a drive-through. And you say, you know what, I'm going to pay for the car behind me, no matter what it is, like you're good to go. Cover yep. it, right. Yep. Like, I think like it's those little moments that we have to do. And then the key to doing it though, is do it without expecting a high five, a thank you, anything back, right? It's got to be selfless with no alternative motive. And that's not easy because we do sometimes go, well, thank you would have been nice, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had a business coach say to me once, why don't you just take $500 out of your bank account, put it in an envelope, stick it on a table and say, whoever finds this, God bless. And just sit somewhere where you can watch and see what the reaction is. Mm. Like just little things that make a difference. It doesn't have to be monetary, but it's just little moments in the day that you can take just to make the world a little bit better place. And if we all do, when we all do that, not if, because we all can and will, this world would be a much, much, much better place. So, Man, that is so good. You just, you made me think about how blessed I was that these ideas I realize now were first taught to me by my mom, like similar yeah. to your parents. My mom, every uh, Christmas, she was a stay-at-home mom. Um, awesome, awesome. Literally like a saint like yours, but she she would have me, on the lookout coming into about October or November for somebody that we were going to secretly bless for Christmas. And it was the first time anyone had involved me in anything, you know, and I got to make the decision. Right. And I literally remember one time it being the subway sandwich lady, because I always wanted to go to subway after school and elementary school. And she was so nice to me because I was embarrassed that I only wanted cheese and mayonnaise on white bread. And I was like, that was like this weird thing that I wanted, but she was so sweet to me. And I saw she drove a beat up car and all that kind of stuff. And so I was, I was like, mom, can we do her? She's like, yeah. And then we would game plan for like a month. I'm like, what are we going to do? How can we do it where she doesn't know it's us? And every year it would be some like a teacher or somebody different. Uh, but I haven't thought about that in years, man. That is so cool. I love that. That's a really cool idea too. We're taking, taking a lot of notes off each other here. Same you. dude. I got a whole page full of stuff. All right. We are getting close to the end of time. I want to make sure. Since I don't know if we got there or not, I want to go back to what you referred to as life secret or something that's been really meaningful to you before yeah. we d dive into the lightning round. Yeah, man. So um, I'll share this openly because I feel like it's important, especially on the forums I can. So just talk about life in terms of we, by nature as human beings, you know, again, gravitate towards that certainty, that comfort, that feeling of like everything's good in my life and things are status quo and I feel happy. And um, I've, I'm 42 years old. Uh, my wife and I have been together for 20 years. I've been blessed with amazing health, amazing health. As I progressed out of tennis and still did, I did triathlons, swam from Alcatraz, the rock into and did a whole triathlon. Holy crap. I loved, loved working out. It was a big part of my life. A part of my, at the time, I would say I was more wrapped up in that identity than I realized at times. But all things being equal, when we moved here about eight years ago to Charleston, South Carolina, great quality of life. Business is growing, three kids, had our best year in 2019 financially by like eons, like crushed it. And um, I started feeling a little bit under the weather. I got a sinus infection. I'd had maybe four or five of them over the 
time that we'd moved here and didn't get sick early at all ever before that. Didn't even have like a specific doctor. Anyway, I went through about it, like thinking it was just a sinus infection. Long story short, um, went on some uh, too many antibiotics being recommended by doctors and all of a sudden started going down pretty fast. And this mm. was late into 2019, come to find out that we had mold in our house. And uh, we had a duct work that was leaking and it ended up permeating throughout our house into our HVAC system, permeating through the house. And because my immune system was compromised, I started to create a mold toxicity. And so it was an autoimmune reaction to what aerial or airborne mold, not like black mold that you see behind the sink that's got a leaking faucet, but more of that like the mold that's out there that just kind of happens and your everyday outside, inside, especially the South is dirty. So for the last 18 months, I've been battling mold toxicity and it's weirdest symptoms you'll ever imagine. Head fog, like you feel like you're really like almost in a video game. You get um, anxiety that comes with it. You got sinusitis or sinus congestion, muscle twitching throughout your body, really bad heartburn and GI issues, weakness of legs, like a whole bunch of variety of things. Uh. And so what's crazy about this and the reason I share this story was you know, I was charging hard, Drew, hard. I'm waking up at 4.30 every morning thinking this is how I'm going to run my life for the next probably 15 more years. And I was doing it for 15. And one of the things that I've learned over these last years was the power of just getting quiet and just being silent and listening to your creator. And if you're a believer or not a believer, it doesn't matter. What It does matter, but it, you still can practice this is what I would yeah. tell Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what I think is key was this power of just listening and getting quiet. And it started out with this rhythm and I'll share it. It's 15 minutes a day in total silence, no agenda, no cell phone, no book, no journal, no nothing, just you clearing your mind, getting quiet. Any thought that comes to your head, you hand it to something metaphorically. I hand it to God. You hand it to something metaphorically. You can throw it out the window mentally, but just get clear 15 minutes a day, six days a week, one day a week. I advocate doing it for one hour. And then once a month, I advocate you doing it for two hours. Once a quarter, you do it for three. And then half of your points, you do it for a day. Some people, I'm about to go on like about a day and a half, two day little, bird, like I'm going to get away and just yeah. go, probably spend the night and do a retreat. I've talked to Liz about it, talked about how important it is to fill ourselves up spiritually. But that concept of getting quiet and just going to your creator not needing something, not wanting clarity on something, not asking for, would you heal me? Yeah. Just being with your creator and saying, thank you. And just being there and just getting filled up from that. And so I've been practicing this discipline for this, this quietness uh, for, you know, now it's been almost, I'd say six, seven years. Wow. And, and what's crazy is the slower I get drew and the more I quiet myself, and the more introspective I become, the more successful we become. Wow. And what I would say, too, is through this whole journey, there's been a lot of moments where you're like, why is this happening to me? I'm a faith-based guy. How could this be going down? Everyone's like, you're so healthy. How could you be this? How could that happen? And I realize it's a gift. God's given me this opportunity to go through challenges, suffer, so that I understand what it's like to go through challenges so that I can make a difference in other people's lives. And so my hope is that if I can share this story and share with them that there's a positive outcome, I'm, I am on the road to feeling better. I've seen a ton of different doctors. I'm going through still a ton of different protocols. If you're listening to this, keep me in your prayers. But yeah. the part about this is like the power of intercessory prayer and praying for each other. 
about believing that you've got a bigger purpose and you go through life's challenges in order to learn how to suffer so that we can grow stronger and come out better on the other side and then help others with that. There's a tremendous amount of doctors out there that can help with this. A lot of them though aren't in, in network or under you know, something that you would have life, uh, an insurance with health insurance coverage. And so one of my commitments and passions is you were talking about with regards to that perpetual positive machine is to set up an endowment or a charitable environment where people that can't afford to get mold detoxification or Lyme disease or some of the things that come with it, the ability to go to these doctors and get the treatments that can be 10, 15, 20, $30,000 because of these scholarships, these sponsorships that we're able to provide. And that's something I'm really starting to think about. How do we get that launched and birth and growing? But I would tell you that in the core of all that, Lyme disease, mold, toxicity, doesn't matter, all that kind of stuff, right? What I would share with you is this, it's the secret weapon is what my brother and I are writing actually a little book about. It's called The Power of Silence. Yeah. It's leading a spiritually guided life. And in my whole heart, I, I truly believe that that ability to slow down, to get connected. The only other thing I advise you to do is at the end of that 15 minutes, carve out five minutes just thereafter. So it's a 20 minute a day practice. Get a journal, whether you use Evernote, you write one in a nice leather bound. It doesn't matter if you have a notebook. And just, I call mine time with God and I just listen and I write what comes to my heart. And I usually only keep it to three things so that it doesn't become this big thing that I have to think about every day. And I just listen and I actually write it from God's voice to me. And some of the most profound little inspirations about life, about how to look at life, about listen, let me guide you, give gratitude, seek to serve others. A lot of the stuff that's come down in terms of our company, our growth, our patience versus growing too fast the development that we've had, decisions I make with Liz and our family, things that I make between decisions. We had a big meeting with one of my core key players in my company a couple of weeks ago and the amount of quiet time and just putting it in front of God, just saying, hey, this is yours. This is your company. And I trust in you and I know that. So help me to be a good steward to both this person, your company, and give me the wisdom to know how to relay this from a mindset and a place that's come from empowerment, but also looks from the growth of your company so that we set it up to be a win-win for all. Right. Wow. And, and so I think that that is something that is missing, unfortunately, in some organizations, not all. Right. And in some people, not all. And what I would encourage you, like I said, whether you're ecumenical, believer, non-believer, this ability to get quiet and connect with your creator is one of the most important things that I think people on this earth can do. And when they do that, that is your battery charge. That is plugging your cell phone in personally, physically to being able to go back then and from that and have that inspiration throughout the day to look at the world from a different lens and to make that impact that I think every single person in the world was created for. You have a plan and that's the best way to understand what that next step is in the plan is by being able to get to that place. Bro, that's, that's brilliant. Thank you for, for sharing uh, not just that wisdom, which is so, so profound, but also your story. Um, We'll definitely be praying for you. And I hope people listening to this, like you said, believer or not believer do uh, I've, I've got a, a few uh, friends as well, uh, two that come to mind that have experienced something similar. And it just, man, yeah. So anyways, we don't have to, to dive into that. But um, here's the deal. Uh, we typically would do the lightning round at this point, but I don't really want to distract uh, from that point. It's like, there's, I don't think there's a better way to have ended this conversation. I want to end on that note. I'm going to be practicing. Uh, you're reminding me to to practice silence and and meditation and prayer. So so good, brother. Uh, thank you for coming on. Thank you for taking the time, opening up your life and your your experiences and your wisdom to us and your heart. 
Um, this has been for sure, I think my favorite podcast. So thank you for coming on today. Thank you, brother. Great meeting you and talking to you and uh, blessings to all that are listening in. Good luck. Thank you, Chris. All right. Be well. Founders, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and hop into our monthly founder email so we can ensure you stay on the edge of peak performance and massive business results.